Dive into the start of summer at Whole Foods Market. Check out their summer splash event with sales on fresh organic produce, organic strawberries, and a fan favorite sale on Ben and Jerry's and Talenti. Explore deals on grill-friendly meats like organic air-chilled chicken breast, beef and chicken kebabs, all with no antibiotics ever from our meat department. Plus, grab easy sides from prepared foods and cool off with refreshing drinks. Kick off your summer and shop in store or online at Whole Foods Market today. Crooked Conversations is sponsored by the new film St. Judy from Blue Fox Entertainment, the inspiring and powerful true story of immigration attorney Judy Wood, who leads a landmark legal battle to establish legal rights for women seeking asylum. In one of her first cases, Judy represents a woman who fled Afghanistan after the Taliban persecuted her for teaching girls. Judy's battle set new precedents for asylum and has saved the lives of thousands of women, showing the power of one person to positively change the world. With a stellar cast led by Michelle Monaghan and Common, this timely true story has taken on a special urgency with the political battles being fought today to restrict immigration. The Hollywood Reporter calls St. Judy engaging and moving with an exceptional cast whose work deserves to be seen. Also stars Alfre Woodard, Peter Krause, Liam Lubini, and Alfred Molina. Follow at St. Judy Movie for more info. Only in theaters starts Friday, March 1st. Hey, Crooked listeners, I'm here with one of my closest friends and favorite people in the world, Alyssa Mastromonaco. Hi, Fabs. What's up? Oh, my God. I'm like, my. I almost cried when I walked into the studio today. It's not bad. I remember when we were just two little punks going to Ruby Tuesdays for some carb-free food before the <laughs> Iowa caucuses in 2004, and here you are with, like, an empire. That's right. That was 2004. Four. I was thinking about that story. Because we've known each other for a long time. So I graduated college in 2003. Two weeks later, I moved to D.C. And then I worked with you every single day every of my day. life until 2013 when I left the White House. Right. And there so, wasn't a day. Not a day. Those 10 years. No, we couldn't be separated. <laughs> and the day that Fabs left the White House, I cried like the day I left the White House. I tried to give a toast and I, in the Roosevelt Room and I just started to cry. Oh, yeah. That was a sad day. And POTUS was like, don't steal my thunder. <laughs> <laughs> um, you're also a... New York Times best-selling author. You heard it here first. How exciting is that? And so you've got a new book out. I have to say, when I made the list, I'm not like a personally, like, I'm an emotive person, but not like a braggy person, but I cried when I made the list. It's Fuck kind yeah. of like, I can die now, and they have to put New York Times bestseller on my grave. That's it. That's Even all if you I'm need. cremated, I'm going to get a grave so it can say New York Times bestseller. <laughs> uh, so the new book is called... So here's the thing. So here's the thing. Which is something that you say all the time. Because there's always a thing. And usually you say it when uh, someone comes to you seeking advice, which I have done many times in my life. Right, because people want an answer, but you have to be like, well, so here's the thing. Let's talk about what you want to get out of this. Whenever whenever you say that, that's when I know you're going to get real. And you're going to tell me, maybe you're going to tell me some hard truths. In the nicest way possible. (laughs) It's going to be like the velvet hammer. So... What's uh, what's this book about in general? And then I know you're going to read a chapter here on Crooked Conversations. So basically, you know, I was really overwhelmed by the response to the first book, mm-hmm. which was two things. One, young women who were like, wow, you can worry about shitting yourself and still work in the White House. But then also <laughs> a, a lot dream. of people. It's a dream. But then also a lot of people, mostly women, but also like I got letters from old men who were like, I'm not a Democrat, but you have restored my faith in government. Oh. And so I felt like a lot of the feedback I got from the 
book, I I sort of took stories that I hadn't told yet that sort of answered the questions that people had asked or sort of gave them greater detail into how you can literally be a hot ass mess, still have great friends and, you know, make it to the most important building in the world. And uh, what is the chapter that you're going to read about? Uh, the chapter I'm going to read is about uh, my trip to Japan in 1999 uh, when I saw the entire country on the back of a motorcycle as a monsoon chased us. Can you possibly give us just a little Japanese? Now, look, yes. if you know Japanese and that was a little bit fucked up, like, don't tweet at me. <laughs> uh, but mostly what I said was, oh, you know how it is. My Japanese only so-so now. <laughs> I love when Alyssa randomly breaks out into Japanese. Wakarimasu. That means, do you understand? <laughs> Look at this. Wakarimasu ka. Um, okay, well, let's hear the conversation. What to expect when you're not expecting to ride a motorcycle hundreds of miles along the Japanese coast. I didn't sign up for introduction to Japanese during my freshman year of college for any good reason, which is sometimes the best reason. It was neither a bad idea nor a good idea. It was just an idea, inspired, as both bad and good ideas often are, by the sighting of a hot guy. When I was in college, we registered for classes the old-fashioned way, by physically lining up behind a table in the gym so you could write your name down on a list. Priorities were critical. You might forfeit every other choice by wasting the precious first minutes of sign-ups to pause and think about whether you'd prefer lesbian vampires in film and literature, or the history of beer. However, because I like to see where life takes me, I planned only my core classes, and by the time I registered for all of them, I had one wild card spot left open. I was wondering what to do when I looked over and saw him. There's no other word for how he looked but groovy. He was about six feet, four inches, with wild, curly, blonde hair. And despite being really hot, he exuded friendliness. Hot people are usually intimidating, right? And he was standing in the line for Japanese 101. I sidled up behind him. Maybe it would be fun. His name was David Fogel, and the bonds of sharing introductory language course humiliations meant we became fast friends. Though I remained, spoiler alert, in the friend zone, the same humiliations that create lasting platonic connections probably also snuff out romantic sparks. We stayed in touch after I transferred from the University of Vermont to Wisconsin, and when he graduated and moved to Hokkaido in northern Japan to teach English, he told me I should come visit. I had spent a lot of time and energy to learn pretty decent Japanese, and I felt like I needed to go. Years later, the White House planned a trip to Asia that swung through Japan. Though I was rusty on the language, I began brushing up beforehand so I could impress everyone, particularly the younger employees, many of whom were from the Midwest, with my skills. The night we arrived, I decided to take everyone out for sushi and show off. My display began at the concierge, whom I asked for a recommendation in what I thought was good, if not perfect, Japanese. We'd flown overnight and were super tired. I wasn't worried about messing up, which usually helps you not mess up. We were all having a great time at the restaurant, ordering rounds of yakis and tories. Then about halfway through the meal, I don't know how I missed it before, I realized that, 
Despite my competent Japanese, which I'd believe signaled me as a nuanced traveler and not some basic tourist, the concierge had sent us to Nobu. Wind meets sails. The next morning, I got a knock on my door at around 6 a.m. Boss, Reggie Love, Obama's body man, said, Boss wants to see you. POTUS couldn't sleep and wanted to convene a meeting of senior staff. In my sweats, I followed David Axelrod, fully decked out in Chicago sports paraphernalia PJs, down the hallway. As we were all drinking coffee in POTUS's suite, I inserted a non sequitur. I know no one likes dream stories, but the one I'd just had was particularly vivid, and I felt I needed to tell someone about it. We were all friends, and I had shared much dumber dream stories than this one. Guys, I had this dream where I fell off a cliff, I said. It really felt like I was falling, too. I saw the people around the room make polite, oh, that's interesting faces, to indicate they were not interested. But then Robert Gibbs chimed in, huh, I had a dream where I fell off something, too. Finally, Secret Service explained that there had been a 4.7 earthquake in the middle of the night. We'd all been so tired that we slept through it. I saved my paralegal overtime combined with all the American Airlines miles I racked up flying back and forth between Madison and New York during my last two years of college and went. Booking plane tickets is so easy now, if not exactly fun, but 20 years ago you did it on the phone with no 24-hour window to change your mind. Because this was so much money to me, all of my money, in fact, I made my dad help. Unlike the time when I was around 14 and my parents made me use my newly acquired French to book the hotel for our family vacation to Paris, setting my destiny to become a scheduling and advance person, he agreed. David and I had been emailing in preparation, and he told me to dress warm. Since it was April, I assumed that men bring a jean jacket and a sweatshirt. Famous last words. There was no way for me to look up the weather in Hokkaido at the time, and I'd skipped buying a guidebook. The pickings back then were slim. But to be fair, I'd also not counted on David picking me up on his motorcycle. Why did I not count on David picking me up on his motorcycle? I don't know. I knew he was buying one. But because both motorcycles and Japan were abstract concepts to me at the time, I guess I couldn't imagine being on a motorcycle in Japan. Since I'd moved to New York, I thought I was really cool. So I arrived with my jean jacket and impractically gigantic Kenneth Cole weekend bag purchased at Marshall's. As soon as I saw David, who met me at Narita, his face fell. Oh, he said in a disappointed tone that sounded like I had just given him socks for his birthday. You're going to be cold. I contemplated this on the train we took to where the motorcycle was parked. Like childbirth, I have to assume the romance of riding a motorcycle obscures the realities of experiencing it. The helmet is sweaty and tight on your head, and once you get going, the whole thing shakes you the entire time. It hurts, and the entire effort required to hang on is a lot, particularly if you have very short legs. I knew I was going to be sore. We'd been driving for about half an hour before the lights flashed behind us. There was a siren, but it was like a baby siren. It's always interesting to hear emergency sirens in foreign countries. Japanese sirens sound very non-menacing. We pulled over and I started to panic. We hadn't been speeding, so I had no idea what it could be about. Had I committed some grave error at customs and been tailed by authorities the entire time? Was David on the run, involved in some elaborate cheese smuggling ring? 
something as wholesome as cheese is the only thing I can imagine him smuggling. Regardless, my vacation was off to a great start. Within Tokyo, but not in the rest of Japan, it's illegal to have two people riding on a motorcycle. This was how it was in 1999, at least. We explained the situation, well, mainly David. I didn't have my Japanese confidence yet. And the police drove me to the city limits. They were very friendly, and there was no barricade in the car, so I soon found myself sitting in the back seat of a Toyota Corolla, practicing my vocabulary on the Tokyo police. We discussed the weather, what brought me to Japan, and what it was like to live in New York. Language practice in a jail cell might have been more comprehensive, but I have to say I'm glad I never got that opportunity. After they pulled over and let me out, we drove a couple of more hours to the home of the host family David stayed with during college. Two aspects of this visit were nerve-wracking. First, the reason David's Japanese was so good was because none of them spoke English. And second, men and women traveling together without being married was not so much of a thing at the time. Luckily, I had anxiety shaken out of me, literally, as we progressed up the family's rocky driveway. The bike stalled, and the sudden jolt of the stop, combined with the way I'd wrangled my awkward heavy bag onto my back, sent me flying backwards, rolling down the hill with my Kenneth Cole. You know how they say that babies often leave accidents uninjured because they're so relaxed and don't know what's going on? I was so loopy from the flight and the hours of clinging to David on his roaring motorcycle that I just bounced. Definitely at least one concrete bounce. Are you okay? David yelled down after me. Hi, I replied, Japanese for yes, and trudged back up the hill. Although the family was nice, my jet lag combined with my recent tumble meant I didn't have it in me to respond to their totally comprehensible Japanese. Instead of trying to get through it politely, I said I was tired and went to sleep. We'll be right back with more from Alyssa. Robinhood is an investing app that lets you buy and sell stocks, ETFs, options, and cryptos all commission-free. While other brokerages charge up to $10 for every trade, Robinhood doesn't charge any commission fees, so you can trade stocks and keep all your profits. Plus, there is no account minimum deposit needed to get started, so you can start investing at any level. The simple, intuitive design of Robinhood makes investing easy for newcomers and experts alike. View easy-to-understand charts and market data, and place a trade in just four taps on your smartphone. You can also view stock collections such as 100 Most Popular. With Robinhood, you can learn how to invest in the market as you build your portfolio, discover new stocks, track your favorite companies, and get custom notifications for price movements so you never miss the right moment to invest. Robinhood is giving listeners of Crooked Conversations a free stock like Apple, Ford, or Sprint to help you build your portfolio. Sign up at crooked.robinhood.com. When men and women upgrade their tattered, outdated, multi-pack underwear to Tommy John, the most comfortable on the planet, they have a lot to say about it. Like Scott, who's happy his double agents are no longer going rogue. Or Melissa, whose Tommy Johns are so light and comfortable, she worries she'll forget to pull them down when she goes to the bathroom. Point is, men and women all across America are crazy about Tommy John. Both Tommy John's men's and women's underwear sport a no-wedgie guarantee. Thank God for that. Comfortable stay-put waistbands and a range of fabrics that are luxuriously soft and designed to move with you. 
Plus, Tommy John has dress shirts and undershirts that always stay tucked, ridiculously soft loungewear, and go-anywhere apparel that's versatile enough to go from boardroom to boxing class. And for ladies, hi ladies, the new Air Collection is made from quick-drying antimicrobial fabric with seamless bonded edges that offer a no-visible panty line guarantee. Tommy John is so sure you're going to love the fit and feel that it's all backed by their best pair you'll ever wear or it's free guarantee. That means if you don't love your first pair, you'll get a full refund. Tommy John, no adjustment needed. Hurry to TommyJohn.com slash CrookedConvos now and get 20% off your first order. That's TommyJohn.com slash CrookedConvos for 20% off. TommyJohn.com slash CrookedConvos. When it comes to your laundry detergent, are you overpouring and overpaying? You shouldn't pay extra for unnecessary additives. Drops doesn't either. Drops detergent pods pass on artificial colors and icky chemicals and pass the savings to you. With Drops laundry detergent pods, they're half the cost compared to leading detergent brands and wash plans are less than your monthly Netflix subscription. Whatever you need, Drops has a plan that fits you like your favorite t-shirt. The best part? They're delivered direct to your door in plastic-free, compostable packaging. Save the oceans from plastic pollution and save 30% on your first Drops order on www.drops.com. It's a win-win. Visit www.drops.com. That's www.drops.com to get an extra 30% off your first order of the convenient, plastic-free, eco-friendly cleaning. Use code CROOKED at checkout. Every drops counts. If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. At participating McDonald's. Back on the road the next day, things were glorious. I'd slept some time-warping number of hours on a bed that was not a mat on the floor. Our itinerary was to drive up along the west coast of Honshu, the biggest island, stay the night on the way, and then hop a ferry the next night to Hokkaido. That night, we'd seen a beautiful sunset over the Sea of Japan. It was cold, yes, but not that cold. But first, I realized I was getting my period. I poked David in the ribs, maybe a little too forcefully considering he was in charge of my life, and screamed into his ear, When we stop to get gas, I need to use the bathroom. He said, what? I said, bathroom, and he nodded. The thing about tampons in Japan is that they were not prevalent at the time, particularly in the more rural towns we were traveling through. As my listeners will know well, now I overstock my bag with several variations of feminine hygiene products. But at age 23, I was still a fly-by-the-seat-of-my-stained-pants kind of girl. I assumed I'd be able to get them. Not so. Although I was disappointed in the lack of urgency in his warnings about the weather, or maybe just my lack of attention to the detail, David had no way to know that the tampon availability situation would be dire. Besides, this was still back in the days when women didn't necessarily discuss their bodily functions, and men certainly didn't. Me and the four or five spare tampons I had rolling around at the bottom of my bag were on our own. The gas station, like many public places in Japan, was equipped with a squat toilet. 
also known as a hole in the ground. My legs were so tired that I worried I would collapse and fall in. As I was hovering painfully over the hole, I looked down and noticed the entirety of both inner thighs was bruised, from knee to cooch. There should be more what to expect when you're not expecting to ride a motorcycle for hundreds of miles but somehow ended up on one, books, or at least blog posts. Because I wanted to prove to David that I was a go-with-the-flow kind of girl, breezily beautiful wearing just a swipe of mascara and a ponytail, I am not this person, I did not make my problem known. If I had, he probably could have helped me or taken me somewhere that sold pads. Instead, I reckoned I'd have to ration the tampons because we were getting more remote, not less. Another thing I learned about riding motorcycles is that you have a lot of time alone, thinking your thoughts. Mine were mainly about my aching thighs being cold and getting colder and whether I was going to bleed all over my gracious host's Yamaha. One of my favorite things about driving is listening to music. So to distract myself from my multifaceted physiological predicament, I decided to see how much of Bruce Springsteen's discography I could sing by heart. I figured David couldn't hear me because I couldn't hear me. When we finally reached our home for the night, a hostel with tatami mats on the floor, I rejoiced to see there was a real bathroom. I figured that every time I found one, I could use the handy toilet paper roll around to conserve my supply. I would also stuff extra in the Kenneth Cole. The next day, we set off for the ferry to get us to Hokkaido, and that was when I felt a real shift in the weather. I'd thought I was cold before, but now I was really fucking cold. My jean jacket was cute, but not cutting it. David, who was fully decked out in a winter coat, gloves, and a hat, offered me one of these items of clothing approximately every 10 minutes. No, no, don't worry, I said cheerfully, my cheeks frozen in a fake smile grimace. I'm fine. I wasn't fine by any stretch. I was happy to spend the night on the ferry. It was lightly snowing as we disembarked the ferry the next morning. He saw the look of wincing panic on my face. We're just gonna go as fast as we can, he assured me. No stops. The effort of lugging around the Kenneth Cole didn't produce enough warmth. Not even born to run could distract me from the way my fingers seemed to be detaching from my body. After about an hour, I punched him in the back. Can I have your gloves? I screamed. Even so, when we finally arrived in the small town where David taught, I was freezing. His house was cold and damp because he'd been gone for a while and didn't have a ton of hot water. When I informed him of my plan to warm myself up in the bath, I was thwarted by how shallow it was. The water came up to mid-shin when I was sitting down. Very little house on the prairie, but without the cool outfits. Iron Chef hadn't yet premiered in America, and it was the perfect level of Japanese to make just enough sense while I was falling asleep. Remaining tampon count, two. Ruined underwear count, two. The next night, we got invited to a dinner with some of the older men in town. If this seems weird, let me explain. Everyone in this town was in awe of David. Picture a tall, curly-headed, blonde, friendly American who spoke near-perfect Japanese descending on a small town of a few hundred people. Women of all ages would giggle when he walked by. On our way to the restaurant, David told me that they didn't usually invite women to eat at the table at these dinners, but they're making a special exception for you. Now, I haven't mentioned food yet in this essay, 
If you didn't skip the IBS essay in this audiobook out of disgust, you will find this odd. But I wasn't eating enough for it to matter. The food thus far in the trip had been pretty bland and unremarkable. Road food, gyoza, rice, that kind of thing. But this dinner is where the real Japanese food, the unheard of stuff, came into play. I was aware that the men had made a special exception for me, so I would have to eat whatever was put in front of me to be polite. The first courses were delicious, but then came the uni, or urchin, which I'd never had before and still believe is best described as snot. When it was set down in front of me, I knew I had to eat it, so I put it in my mouth. But as soon as I put it in my mouth, I knew that eating it would be impossible. Most people would think to raise their napkin daintily and discreetly to their mouths, deposit the offending food stuff into it, and move on with the meal. I, however, felt everyone would surely suspect what I was doing if I put the napkin up to my mouth. So I waited until everyone was talking and spit the uni into my lap, only marginally more polite than Tom Hanks tasting caviar in Big. A major international incident occurred in 1992, when, at a state dinner in Japan, weeks before the New Hampshire primary, President George H.W. Bush vomited in the lap of Prime Minister Kichi Miyazawa and then passed out. The term bushu suru was subsequently coined to mean to do the bush thing. It slithered into the cuff of my pants, at which point I panicked and tried to brush it onto the floor. When I got home to New York, I found I'd lost more than 10 pounds. The rest of the trip passed smoothly and uneventfully and was honestly a lot of fun, though it was a great example of how not being prepared can fucking suck. It was a once-in-a-lifetime experience that would have been so much better with some long underwear and a bounty of tampons. David had to teach me on my last day. He'd picked me up because it was a holiday, but when it was time to go back to Tokyo for my return flight, I had to do it on my own. The night before I had to leave, he explained how to get there take a bus to a town where I would wait on a street corner for another bus. This bus would transport me to a small airport where I would take a flight to the other non-Narita airport, Haneda, in Tokyo, from which I would take a train to Narita for my flight. I was nervous, but I also felt like if I could make it on the motorcycle trip with four tampons and no gloves, I could pretty much do anything. As he was leaving me to go to sleep, he looked back. I love Born to Run too, he said. When I expressed shock that he could have possibly heard me at all, he replied that he could hear me the entire time. Thanks to Alyssa Mastermonico. The book is So Here's the Thing. Go pick it up, buy it, check out more, and tune in next week for more Cricket Conversations.